Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio Network. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor and resiliency expert, helping people to think, speak, and act positively through the challenges of life. You can find out more about me in this interview at my website, which is Tom, the number two, and Tall, T-A-L-L dot com. My guest today is Norma Nicholson. Uh, Norma recently authored and published a book, Young Lives on the Line, You Can Make a Difference, by drawing upon her own experiences growing up as an at-risk child who was a homeless infant and youth. She also enhanced her professional expertise through her management of health care for at-risk children and youth in the largest secure youth custody facility in Ontario, Canada, and from being a passionate community volunteer. She's an author, speaker, educator, youth expert, and founder and executive director of Ignite for Youth. She currently facilitates community outreach programs such as workshops for youth and families, police and correctional services, seminars in local churches, churches, lunch and learn sessions for employees in a variety of work environments and for youth-focused organizations and their employees. Norma has served as president of the Alzheimer's Society of Peel, president of the Registered Nurses Association of Peel Region, and is a member of the board of directors of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. She's also an engaging member of the Mississauga Board of Trade, the Mississauga Arts Council, Toastmasters of Mississauga, and a director on the board of the Malton Neighborhood Services. Welcome to the show today, Norma. Thank you, Tom. I'm happy to be here. Wow, I'm surprised you're ever at home with all of those volunteer uh, positions that you've had. Those are some very big responsibilities and some uh, very big name organizations in the Mississauga Peel area. It gives me joy to give back. Nice. And uh, you had met my wife. We met you at the Toronto International Book Fair and uh, you guys have a similar passion for helping these at-risk uh, youth. Uh, my wife, who looks, works for a criminal defense lawyer, uh, gets very saddened to see what she often calls uh, frequent flyers, uh, youth that call her like every year or two years with some new charge. And so these are the people that really your heart breaks for and that you're really out there to try and uh, turn them around before their life gets bad or gets worse, right? That's the main point. I would like to have some impact collaborating and partnering with others before these children become impacted by the youth justice system. Yes, because once they're in there, they often stay in there and they learn things that just are not going to help them at all in life. Or they return to the community and do not adjust productively, therefore they are back inside. Right, right. Yes. And so you published a book recently, Young Lives on the Line, You Can Make a Difference. Uh, when was that book published and what what prompted you to, to, to publish a book like that? The book was published, self-published. By, by me in February of this year, which would be almost one and a half years since I retired from the youth custody facility. Mm-hmm. Ah, this book came about because of three lived experiences. One, as, as you noted in my bio, Tom, I was homeless twice. Wow. And at, from a young teenage mom who could not find anyone to help her to look after a six-month-old infant, so she therefore abandoned me on a sidewalk. This story was told to me by my grandmother, my, my paternal grandmother, who took me in into her rural home on the island of Jamaica, and took care of me until she died at, at when I was seven. So that's wow. one of my lived experiences. After my grandma died, I lived with a paternal aunt who did not want to have any children at all because she had already 
raised her three grown children. Mm -hmm. So between the age of seven and 13, I experienced the most horrific and horrendous abuse that any child could have ever experienced. That that, breaks my heart. Yeah, that's one of my lived experiences. My second lived experience is I was very fortunate to immigrate to Canada and had the opportunity to further my education and be able to volunteer. So I started volunteering at the hospital, which was then the Wellesley Hospital in downtown Toronto. I had a day off each week from my job. I was a nanny then. So I volunteered and got to love nursing. Mm. And then I also volunteered when I became a nurse in the community. And you can see how my focus from my volunteer work had always been with at-risk youth. Because in the community, I don't know if many individuals are aware of that, But in our community, when a youth has committed a petty crime for the first time, they are forgiven, but there are certain things that they must do so they do not end up in jail. Mm -hmm. So I volunteered with an organization that helps to write letters of apology with those youth. Many of them are illiterate. Mm. There are many youth in our in our community all over Ontario that do not know how to read and write English. Ooh. So that's my second lived experience. My mm-hmm. third, I I have a master's degree and I was managing health care at an outpatient department in a hospital. And that hospital decided that they wanted to start charging seniors for their outpatient care. That I did not support at all mm. because we, we, have, we are to receive medical care in our country without paying. So at last there was an opportunity to move on and I saw this ad in the paper RN wanted to develop and orchestrate health care for at-risk youth in the largest secure youth facility in Ontario. And I thought, I could do that. So there's my third lived experience. I managed and developed health care for at-risk youth in the facility that is actually the largest in Ontario and the largest in Canada. 192 youth are incarcerated there, 160 Hmm. young men and 30 girls, 32 girls. Wow. So in all, all these three lived experiences, when I retired, I thought... I had been reflecting all along because I made notes in my journal. I've kept journals ever since I became a nurse. It's amazing the things that you observe and people you have served. Mm -hmm. So because I had a journal, many journals, I had seen several at-risk youth in the community, several at-risk youth in custody, And I did further research to do some comparison. Why is it I had such a horrific life as a teen and I did not end up in the justice system? Why is it that the kids in the community did not end up in the justice system compared to those kids that are in youth custody? And that's how I thought about writing the book. Hmm. Wow. I, those are some. Those are some very uh, rich and dramatic life experiences to build yeah. from. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. So, I, uh, I I've uh, Go ahead, please. I uh I have looked into homelessness before. I had a friend who was very wealthy, one of his businesses when was going under, so he transferred the rest of his assets to his wife's name and two days later she kicked him out and like within a week he went from millionaire and nice cars and beautiful house to living on the street. I ended up looking up one time famous people who have been homeless and he got some pretty amazing people. He got Jim Carrey, Halle Berry, uh, and numerous other big names, uh, Dr. Phil, uh, and number of big names that people have been homeless. And so uh, you either go when you're homeless, you you either recover from that or or you don't. And so that must give you some real, having gone through that, that must give you some real rapport with a lot of the youth that you see, that they know that you've lived a lot of times where they've lived. Yes, I can truly identify with some of the situations that they have experienced, and I can also say to them, I know how difficult that would have been, because one of my challenges when I grew up is I did not share the story with anyone. All the abuses Mm. I went through, including rape, physical, emotional, verbal abuse, I did not share with anyone because they would not believe me. Mm. And, and that you think that that's something that youth are, I would think that's something youth, not even just youth, adults as well, uh, they tend to hide those things and not share them, but they've had some tremendous feel, learned experiences from it. You ashamed, and you mm-hmm. think part of it is your it's because of you why this has happened. Because I've always thought when I was a young girl that it's my fault why my mother, who I've never met, left me on a sidewalk. And at first I thought, how could she have done this? And then as I grew older, I realized, look at all the resources we have in Ontario. None of that existed on the island where I was born. There is absolutely no support for her. Right. And in Canada, we are an amazing country in that, okay, yes, we pay high taxes, but we do it so that we can look after people. Our social system is extremely good com- globally compared to other countries. And so, uh, you know, we do have the resources to help at youth risk, at, at risk youth, uh, but they don't always seek it out. They don't always know what's available. And uh, so it's important for us to let them know of what is available uh, because we, there are resources, I imagine, that can really help with those uh, youth already, right? And and that's one of my goals. Canada, Ontario especially, is a province of new immigrants come to us every year. Well, take an example of a mother and perhaps her two children who have come to Canada as refugees from a a war-torn country. Mm -hmm. So they may be met at the airport by a supporting church or family or the Salvation Army, and they are helped with housing, lodging, clothing, connection, but I'm not sure that there's anything that is continuous with that family. So there's not much done about the psychological. Mm. So when those children are here, having lived in refugee camps for many years, they are not able to adjust to our school system. They are not able to manage conflicts the way we would talk to each other, mediate or try to resolve. They have none of those skills. So when they are kicked out of the schools, literally, they hang around in the malls, they get into fights, they join the gangs, and then that's how they end up in youth custody. 
parents are at their wits end. They do not know the system enough to try and find help for their children. Well, I hadn't even thought of that part because I'm born and raised in Canada, but yeah, we are a, we are a nation of immigrants, so people come here with different cultures, from different countries, with different languages, and so it's not as easy for them to even no. know what is available. But if the do you know that when a, a teenager presents with any signs and symptoms of mental illness in the community at home, and perhaps parents are, they don't know what to do, they're afraid, they don't want to share because of the stigma, and Mm -hmm. then that youth goes out and gets himself or herself involved in, in crime and gets into the justice system, do you know that 72 hours after that youth has been admitted in the youth justice system, he or she must be seen by a psychiatrist and get a diagnosis. While the mother in the community could have been waiting for a year, 18 months, and is unable to see a psychiatrist, unless that child harms himself or harms someone else, and then is taken into custody and may go to the hospital. Wow, I had not even thought of that. But yes, at one time when I was uh, waiting for surgery in a pretty downtime, uh, I reached out to look for a psychiatrist, and they cost money. They're not yeah. a they're not a paid service all the time, and so. What a horrible thing that a child who needs that psychiatric help cannot get it unless they've done harm to someone or been in prison. That's that's sad. Because because in the schools, many of our schools, we are so very fortunate, they have school teams. And so if there's unusual behaviors with, with the students in the school, parents are engaged and also, so there are some parents who don't know how to get engaged. They don't know what questions to ask. So mm-hmm. if the child is referred to a psychologist, a psychologist can start programs with the school team and the parents around managing behaviors, but some behaviors are caused by mental illness. And therefore, if that youth is not seen by a psychiatrist, most family doctors will not start psychiatric medication for young people, but they, so they have to wait to see a psychiatrist, maybe for mm. years. Wow, and by that time, the damage has been done to themselves, the community. Exactly. And- And so when I decided to put all these things together, I thought there must be something that each of us in our community can do to prevent these children from getting into the youth justice system and living more productive in the community. So one big thing is if we could have more psychiatrists available to teenagers, they could move some of that resources from the youth justice system into the community. Mm. Uh, Yes. Now, uh, talk a little bit about this book, because uh, uh, you hadn't written a book before, and so many people say, well, I should write a book, or I need to write a book. Uh, But so many of those people don't actually ever get out to writing a book. Uh, how did you how did you go through the process of writing this book? How did you get it accomplished? Because, uh, as I just said, so many people say they should write a book, but not very many people do. I think my passion for seeing changes, as I reflect on my own life, I want parents to really have the skills to support their children to reach their potential, not looking just at the negative. So it is with that passion, 
plus the notes I have made in my journals over the years that I sat down one day and I said to friends of mine, I want to write a book. And we we met over coffee several times, and I I lay out what is it I would like to include in this book. Never imagined that I could write a book, but it is mm-hmm. so wonderful to have friends and family that says you can do it. So then I I put my notes together. I did some research. I I looked at, oh my goodness, the accumulation of journal notes that I have. And then I was able to put all these thoughts together chapter by chapter. So the book has my story. The book then has the story of six of the youth that I have volunteered with in the community. Of course, one has to be very careful not to identify our young people, so mm-hmm. their names and age are not what it says in the book. All right. And then I looked at the youth that I manage health care for, and I look at all the challenges and reasons why they came into youth custody. And some were presented with mental illness undiagnosed. Some could not see or hear. So you can imagine a young man that's going to school and cannot even see the whiteboard that the teacher is writing on. He pretends to be learning, but of course Mm. he's not learning. And soon the behaviors of being teased or something like that, that's how he ends up in the justice system. Right. And again, then you have refugees. These children need far more support to help them become productive and adjust to a new country. And they're, they're coming from such variety of cultures, it is not easy for them to adjust. Did you know that refugee children, some do not even have a birth certificate? Oh, I had heard that. So, so many people from other countries, they don't even know their actual real birthday. Exactly. And the only way that can be found out is by your dental. Like you, you can have your, your, your teeth tested and mapped out to see your growth. So, for example, uh, a youth could be in custody who is a past refugee, and he's 16 years of he thinks he's 16 years of age, but when his dental chart is done, he's actually 19, and then he goes right into the adult system. So, with all those facts I had in my head in research. I thought, I can write a book. So I had 10 individuals who came alongside me, and each said um, they would read a chapter and give me feedback. So I spent all, most of 2013 writing my book, going out and testing the contents with organizations to say, should this book be printed? Would you read it? Would, do you think families would read this? And with all the feedback, I put together a book, and it was reviewed by an editor. Nice. And uh, not only a book, but you are putting together a, a big youth event uh, next year as well in Mississauga. Well, the, the next step was after I had been out about 22 times speaking to all those groups that have been mentioned in my bio, several Mm -hmm. individuals have said, Norma, why don't you get some experts together, bring some families, some youth, um, representatives of the probation, the justice system, and have a one-day conference where youth are sponsored, and I've been very fortunate, I've had organizations that have sponsored youth to attend. 
others need to pay, but when you pay, it's very minimum for what will be be um, obtained from that conference. Mm-hmm. So yes, I had to work with others to develop a not-for-profit organization, which we named Ignite Four Number Four Youth, and that is the the organization that will be hosting this one-day conference. It should be a dynamic conference where anyone who has a passion for seeing young people become the best they can is welcome, so welcome to attend. So the tickets are already online from the Living Arts Center. The Living Arts Center is located here in Mississauga, at 4141 Living Arts Drive, it's right across from Square One, very easy access by public transit, and that one-day conference will be April 20th, 2015, from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., promises to be an excellent day of learning and takeaways to impact the lives of youth. Nice. Uh, can you um, direct people to a website where they can get some more go details to, on that? Go to my website at www.younglivesontheline, one word, younglivesontheline.com. Younglivesontheline.com, same Dot name com. as your book. Yes. And uh, that is a good venue, the art, uh, the, what is it in Mississauga? The Living Arts Center. Yeah, yeah beautiful the, venue. The ambience and the networking and the exhibits and the learning should make it a wonderful day. Wow, and you're uh, right in an area there with an organization I love at Square One, uh, The Open Door. And the oh. open door looks after a lot of youth and uh, uh, young people that have challenges that uh, come in and out of that place. And so I know just from being heavily involved with them that that area where you're having the conference is a is an area where a lot of young people uh, are experiencing difficulties right in that neighborhood. And so it's uh, it's going to be a powerful, powerful contra- uh, conference. Uh, I'm hoping and believing that uh, a lot of organizations will get involved. Churches uh, should jump on this, um, and all kinds of their social social service agencies in the Mississauga area should be in attendance as well. I would love to see nurses. I would love Mm. to see teachers. Because, um, for example, a nurse who works in the an eMERGE department, a youth may show up with a gunshot wound, and the nurse is, is wanting to help this youth by saying what happened. And the youth is petrified and will not say. And then that youth is um, labeled as not cooperating, having an attitude. Mm. But one needs to know the root cause of why that has occurred. The same thing with teachers. Teachers may be in the classroom, and there is a 12-year-old who is unable to sit. And the teacher will say across the classroom, John, will you please sit down? John, I have told you to sit down. But in fact, John is feeling so ashamed now because he is really unable to sit down because of his undiagnosed mental illness. He has to pace. Hmm. So by, by the third time, the teacher who has to look after so many other children in the classroom will say, you go down to the principal's office. That child feels so helpless, he may just walk out the door because nobody has taken the time to say, I wonder what is causing this child to be pacing. Right, right. One of the main things I want to focus that day on, and experts are coming in to speak to that, is 
what are the underlying root causes of the behaviors and the challenges and problems we are seeing in our youth. And it's not just social media. Because, Tom, if you envision a tall tree, the roots are branches out in the soil. That's the root cause. The branch goes up and then the leaves are the problems we are seeing. Unless you go to the root and find out, is this being caused by trauma, anger that has not been resolved, a mental illness? coming from a dysfunctional family, homeless, living in poverty, abject poverty, because some children who live in poverty can actually become very productive with support. So this conference, I truly want individuals to take away different lens, the way they look at youth, to please find out what are the causes of the behaviors and do not address the behavior, address the cause, and you will see that the behavior changes. (laughs) Right, 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 exactly. Now, how are you uh, marketing this book? Well, I've learned very quickly to use social media. So Mm -hmm. I have my webpage, which is www. YoungLives.YoungLivesOnTheLine.com, and I update that every week through a webmaster. So if one should go on that webpage today, you can actually order your ticket from there, and it tells you everything about the conference. It also tells you why I wrote the book, what I have gone through as, as a young person, and it tells you about every speech that I've gone out to do and how I've been helping in the community. So I, I carry out TV interviews. This past Wednesday, I was on the Nikki Clark show. Mm. I, I talk on the radio like I'm doing now with you. I also attend meetings and deliver presentations such as the Mississauga Board of Trade and the Mississauga Art Council. Mm -hmm. I welcome opportunities to participate in book fairs just like I did at the Inspire Book Fair. Ah, yes, that, that was just the last few days. Yes. And I have been a key, keynote speaker in many organizations, not only where they're pro-youth, but where they want to learn about the behaviors and challenges seen in youth. So I'm already booked for January and February as keynote speakers for three events that are coming up. Wow. What and are those course, events? I, I talk to everybody I know or come across. I I have learned to network very effectively. And that's the best way to do it is networking online and in person, and you're doing a lot of both of those. Yeah, and I think, too, people people see that I'm real. I I'm not putting on a show. I truly want to help children so they never experience what I experience. Because when you think of parents, they are not born, their children are not born, they're not given a manual and say, this is my son John, this is how I should raise him. Sometimes right. you have children having children. So I try my best not to blame parents at all. In fact, parents need help in managing their children. You know how many mothers or fathers tonight in this city or in this province would not be able to sit down and have what is called a very tough conversation with their teens? Many do not have the patience to listen. But if you listen to teenagers, they are so smart. 
and mm. their behaviors stem from all the negativity they receive. But don't yeah. you think that there are some wonderful, wonderful young people? There are some amazing young people. And before I had met my wife, I used to, if a youth was charged with something or did something wrong, my mind would almost mostly automatically think like, what the heck is wrong with that child or that youth? But when I, when, when I hear the backstory, when my wife yeah. would tell me the backstory of it and the parental uh, guidance they're getting, which is often lacking and poor, then you understand, then I would feel, so now since I've met my wife, my feeling is more often, what is behind that youth and why are they doing that silly criminal thing that they're doing? And often I feel bad for them because I know there's something behind it other than just being a rotten person. Yeah, no youth wakes up each day and wants to be bad. Can right. you imagine uh, if I'm 13 years old, just getting to love my school, getting to um, to have good friends, and then my mom, who may be a single mom, becomes ill. I have no other family member, and so I'm sent to the Children's Aid Society. I am now so angry. I have been totally neglected. So my behavior is not going to be very done. It's not going to be well. Mm. So then that children's aid um, foster mom may not be able to manage my behavior. So I could be moved around to 10 or 20 different homes, which everyone's saying, I can't manage his behavior. Mm. And no one sits down and say, okay, here are some things that we want to hear from you and we want your input. Right, right. They don't go to the child themselves or the youth themselves to really learn what's behind what they're doing. Yep, they just make decisions for most of them. They have no voice. Yeah. And see, one of the things that I would truly like to see your parents learning more how to have difficult conversations with their children so that their children can come and talk to them about anything. There are kids that are petrified to go and talk to their parents about basic life things. Right. Definitely. And at the same time, again, like from experiences I've learned, I'm a Caucasian having born and raised here in Canada, but for uh, minority youth, a lot of times they are targeted and profiled. And uh, there was a, a young lady that uh, I interviewed earlier this year, uh, and she lives downtown Toronto, and she was just telling me how often particularly uh, minority people get stopped by the police just for, like, nothing, just out of suspicion. And well, I, rem I remember thinking, like, oh, that feels awful, creepy, just hearing about it. Yeah, because an example would be um, there, there could be very well-educated minorities that are professors at the universities that are working in, in government organizations, so they decide that they will buy a home in a, an area that is considered a rich area. Well, when those children are walking on the street, for some Policemen are wonderful, but there's always exception. So mm -hmm. there are police officers who may stop that child and say, what are you doing here? When in fact, that's where the youth lives. Right. But they don't expect to see them in that area because they don't think of them as being able to reach for the sky. Right. for those stars and they may just touch the sky. 
Amen. And at the same time, I think a lot of youth uh, have a distrust for authority. Uh, my wife has worked yeah. a long time in criminal defense, and she even says that she would not necessarily uh, teach her kids to trust the police. Now, of course, most of them are very, very good. That's why they're in it, and they're in it for the right reason. But it's very confusing and difficult sometimes for youth, especially if they've had already some trouble, to even know who they can trust, who they can talk to, who's on their side and who's not really on their side. Yes. It is It is a real challenge for youth because when you think of the way some of the youth dress, look at those mm-hmm. that walk with their pants below their waist. Mm-hmm. So when when several individuals see them, they don't see the person. They just see the way they are dressed. Right. So then all the negativity comes up the way they're described. There is nothing, the society doesn't take time to reflect on what, what could be the reason that that child is dressed that way. Right. They and sometimes even people way. like myself will just immediately uh, assign some negative characteristics just because of the way they're dressed, when really yes. that is, that's yes. improper. Yes. And we we have that happening. So I am hoping, I am so hoping that my book will be placed in at least the high schools. I have been trying to get that done. The book is in the Mississauga Library System, thanks to Mississauga. Mm -hmm. I have been trying to get the books into the Toronto Library System and is still waiting Mm-hmm. And the Toronto District School Board, I'm still waiting. And I know that many families would like to get this book. So another thing is that the book can be downloaded from Amazon and Kobo for 99 cents. Wow. Amazon.ca. Yeah. Let's remind yeah. people Amazon.ca. Some people might go to Amazon.com. Actually, I've been on Amazon.com, and you can see it, but you can only purchase it at .ca. Okay. And then because I I self-publish, I can mail a book anywhere in the world for someone who sends me $20. Wow. Okay. Nice. And and if if... I'm very blessed. There's a school in Brampton that I've spent some time. They have purchased 30 books, and I just gave them at 50% off. Nice. What a nice gesture. Now, there's lots of people that are passionately interested in helping youth, at-risk youth, uh, and just youth in general. How can these people assist you to move forward Uh, with this passion to see changes in youth? Well, one of the things that that people can do is try some of the tools that are written in the book. There are concrete tools that are written in the book. So there are things that teens, young people can do. There are things that parents can do, and they're all concrete things. So a concrete thing that a parent can do, if you do not understand the school system, make an appointment to speak to the teacher. Mm. Talk to your child and what are the challenges. Ask the teacher to have a meeting with you and that child. Or you can make a note of the concerns the child has expressed and go and hear the teacher's view and see how both of you can work together. Some parents do not get engaged with the school because of their cultural background. The school was always in charge and is responsible for the education for their children. No, it is a collaborative effort. Mm -hmm. So there's a concrete example. So the other thing is for people that are new to the country and do not know where to find help, Mm -hmm. walk into any community center 
There are so many of them. Walk into the Salvation Army. Walk into a church, a synagogue, a mosque. Ask where you can get help. And it's amazing you find that if you're fortunate to live in an area where similar cultures to your own are residing, Mm -hmm. they can also help you to find resources, especially if English is not your first language. So those are several ways individual can help. Individual can also attend workshops, meetings, conferences to learn about the things that they can do to help youth. Plan to look at their strengths. Not don't delve in their weaknesses. Right. Talking about their weaknesses, eventually they're going to start believing that these are all the weaknesses they have, and they have no strengths. Invite me. Invite me to come to a forum. I do not charge anything. I just hope that somebody purchases the book so I can pay for the printing and distribution of it because that is my way of giving back. Tom, I am so happy to be alive every day because I could have died. (sighs) Under the conditions you were brought up in, that many people might have died uh, for sure. Many nights I had no food to eat. Many days I was not fed because my aunt I lived with, she just wanted me to die and just go away. So Mm. another thing that parents can do is spend time with their children. If it's even having one meal per week at a dining table or on a carpet, Spend time with your children. And it does not have to be every night, every day. The other thing is, don't sign up your children for every activity. My Mm. goodness, they need some downtime. Sometimes they're just doing this to please you. So you sign them up for hockey, for music, Mm. all these activities. Help your child to choose one or two things that they thoroughly enjoy, and then you can spend some time with them. They have so much to tell us. If only we will take the time, our children that are at risk will just see themselves as being human and loved. Yes. Wow, those are some very good tips there. And so remind people of the website one more time. www.younglivesontheline.com Youngliveontheline.com The name of my book is Young Lives on the Line. You Can Make a Difference. Each and every one of us can make a small difference because we must remember that our youth is our future and the changes we want to see must start now. Right, right. And we all have something that we could help youth with in some way. So you had mentioned a number of ways and uh, hopefully there will be quite a few organizations and people that just have a a heart for helping the youth that are going to be coming out to your conference next year. And uh, as you said, you speak for free. You're doing this to serve, not uh, to be the next Tony Robbins or uh, the next, no. uh, you know, no, sell a million I, books. I just, here. I just want to give back. Right, right. And if you can change one life, man, the, when you change one at-risk youth, you could change their future spouse, their future children, their community, their family. And so saving one life in a lot of cases ends up affecting a lot of other people in the process. It's like throwing a stone in the water and the ripple effect begins. Yes, exactly. And so 
everyone should find at least one ripple effect that they can start somehow, some way with a young person in their neighborhood, in their church, in their school, uh, in their wherever they'll find them. But there is somebody near almost where anybody lives, a youth that is needs a hand, needs a, an encouraging word, needs a mentor, needs someone to let them know all their good points instead of all their bad points. And so yeah. uh, get involved, get involved. It's not just enough in this day and age if you're, um, I was going to say normal family, but let's say a middle-class family with kids to look after your own kids uh, take what you've learned as a parent with your kids and go out and help maybe uh, someone who who needs a hand badly. That would be awesome. And uh, certainly it is not hard to find these uh, kids uh, for sure. And so uh, congratulations on the amazing work that you're uh, doing, Norma. A lot of people, when they retire, they just want to retire. But this... <laughs> Has, this is giving you more opportunity than you've ever had to really pour into and help the youth in the, in the city of Mississauga, but also in Peel and uh, Brampton and the whole Halton I travel, region. I travel to the I travel the GTA. Yeah, I travel the GTA because the um, there's an event that is occurring in Toronto on January 30th. So I travel the GTA. I've even gone to Windsor, Ontario. So wherever someone wants me to come to, I will come because I know someone will go away making a commitment to help even one youth. Right. And when your passion is so strong as yours is, you will go anywhere, anytime, because as you said, there's always going to be one person there that can help you or one person there who needs help, uh, needs the encouraging word. So thank you so much again, everybody, younglivesontheline.com. Ask Norma to come speak to your organization uh, buy one of her books. Don't buy one of her books. Buy five of them, one for yourself and four to give away. Uh, even if you give it away to your local library, uh, it's still going to be a valuable resource for whoever comes across it. So thank you so much for your time and all the amazing work that you're doing, Norma. Uh, I know this conference next year is going to make a huge impact in the community and people are going to jump on board because this is a very, very, very needed initiative. Thank you, Tom. This has been a pleasure. Have yourself an amazing day. Take care. Thank you and goodbye.